All right, this morning, before I get to our text, um, this morning's going to look a little different, you know. Yeah, there's probably never have you come in here on a Sunday morning and had a piece of paper handed to you. I'm wanting to try to do something today that I've personally never seen done um, in all my 23, 24 years of being in church. I want to tackle the topic of spiritual gifts in one sermon. I've, I've done it before in a three-part series. I've studied spiritual gifts as a significant part of my ministry. I've studied them. Uh, there are literally books, entire books, written on the subject of spiritual gifts. And to try to take the topic of spiritual gifts and condense it to a simple 40-minute message, um, I'm going to need the help of the Lord to do this morning. But I want to explain why I'm doing it. I want you to understand what is the purpose this morning of me going at it from this way. Have you ever heard the term, you can't see the forest or the trees? What that term means, if you've ever heard it or maybe you haven't, here's what it means. It means where there's this big forest and there's this great big picture that is to be understood. If you get too close to it, all that you can see are the trees that are right in front of your face. My experiences have been with this topic of spiritual gifts, that that is generally the case. We do not see the big picture that God is trying to communicate to us about spiritual gifts. What I've seen is that generally there are people in different camps that are so focused on the trees in front of their face, they don't see the big forest, the whole truth that God wants us to see. And so rather than, you know, drawing this out to a three or four week sermon series, I'm going to try to make this the simplest message you've ever heard on spiritual gifts. And my goal is that when we leave, I truly hope each of you have a better understanding of spiritual gifts and what they mean to you. Like, what should you do about the topic of spiritual gifts. How does this impact your Christian living? You're going to notice on the front page there are three passages of Scripture. It's a lot of Scripture, and I'm going to read it all. And so rather than having you stand for 10 minutes as we work through the text, I'll let you be seated this morning as we read through it. But we're going to look at these passages together. Before we do, let's just say a quick word of prayer. Father, this morning as we come to your word... God, I pray that you would help me to teach today in such a way that every single person that showed up to church this morning, every single person that may be listening online, that they understand spiritual gifts in a way that impacts their life forever. God, help us to see the simplicity of what you're really trying to communicate. Help us to not overcomplicate the matter. Give us understanding. God, anoint me this morning to use my gifts to preach to these people in a way that's clearly understood. Motivate us this morning. Encourage us this morning, Father. Challenge us this morning that each of us might be part of your body. God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What you're going to notice on 
you know, the front page where we have to the church in Rome, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, what you're going to notice is that these passages are very similar, that much of what is being written is basically the same thing, just kind of said with a few different words. Let's start with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members one of another. Having gifts that differ According to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here we have the first list of spiritual gifts. And there are some who look at this list and say these are the motivational gifts and look at another list and say these are the um, you know, more spiritual gifts or manifestation gifts. And I'm going to kind of talk to that in a moment. But what I want you to see is that this theme of the body of Christ is the one constant theme in all of these passages. We're going to have some different gifts in Ephesians 4, and then we're going to see there's some different gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, but this theme of us being the body of Christ is the one constant. So to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, notice how similar this first sentence starts out to Romans 12.1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Can you see some similarities there from the first passage that we read in in Romans chapter 12? Here we have a different list of gifts. 
But it is the exact same idea that God gave the gifts. We are all part of the same body, and the gifts need to be used for the betterment of the body of Christ. Finally, to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Here's what you need to know right now. Those three passages are the primary passages in the Word of God that deal with spiritual gifts. These are them right here. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. What I want us to see, and there's a reason I printed these papers, and I wanted you to have them so you could see with your own eyes. Can you see how similar each of those passages are? And what I want you to consider is how the Word of God was written. It was written by men who were inspired by God to write these letters. It's also important that you understand what it means that they were inspired by God. It does not mean that they went into some trance, lost, blacked out, the Holy Spirit took over their body and they just started pinning papers and woke up and there it was. It's not what it means. But it means that the Holy Spirit motivated these men to write these things down. And so we have... In these three texts, something that's very important to understand, all three of them were written by the same man, the same person writing churches, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to churches that he helped establish. The churches have grown, and later in his years, He's writing a letter back to these churches. He's teaching them a few things. And all three of these churches, near the conclusion of his letter, Paul says the same thing. You need to use your gifts to advance the kingdom of God. You're all members together. Uh, I hope you can see 
what I see. All three of these letters are different. Romans has a different purpose than the book of Ephesians does. Ephesians has a different purpose than the book of 1 Corinthians does. For example, the book of Romans is ultimately this great book to help understand the salvation we have through Jesus Christ and what that means. In Romans chapter 1, we find that the whole world is without excuse because even nature itself testifies to God. And so even the pagans who do not know the word of God are without excuse because they go against their own consciences and do what they know is wrong. Well, then Romans 2 says, but you religious folks, you're not a whole lot better off. In fact, in some ways, it's worse for you because you actually know what God has said and you don't do it. The very thing you tell the Gentiles not to do, you do, so you're guilty. So it turns out in Romans chapter 3, the obvious conclusion is the whole world's guilty before God. We've got a problem on our hands. But then in Romans chapter 4 and 5, we are introduced to the blood of Jesus, God's solution to man's sinful problem. And in Romans 5, we see that we can be reconciled to God and that we who were once enemies of God can now be the sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. And in Romans 6, the story doesn't stop there. Now that we're Christians, now that we're following the Lord, we find that there's this grapple with inside between the flesh and the spirit. But no worries, God has dealt with that through the cross. And in Romans chapter 8, the great big conclusion, therefore, there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And at about 70% of the way through the, uh, chap- uh, the book of Romans, after all of the theology has been laid down, comes the practical application of what it should mean in the life of the Christian. Paul says, I beg you, therefore, to be mature and know the will of God and to present yourself as a living sacrifice for the furtherance of God's kingdom. And he goes straight into this discussion about the body of Christ and you having a role in it and using your God-given gifts to advance the kingdom of God. The book of Ephesians, totally different topic. The book of Ephesians starts off with this God who knows the end from the beginning and how blessed we are to be in Christ and from the foundations of the world, how great it is that God has chosen his church and that we are his and that we can have this great confidence. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul's like, I pray that you all have an understanding of the power that's inside of you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. It's an awesome book. And then about 70% of the way through, it's time to get to the very practical application. The fourth chapter out of six in the book of Ephesians. And guess what Paul goes to? Same exact thought process that he does with Romans. You all need to understand what this means. It means that you are the body of Christ. and That each and every one of you have a role to play. And that the gifts that God has given you are meant to be employed in the church. 1 Corinthians is a totally different book. In fact, 1 Corinthians is really a rebuke. In the church in Corinth, things weren't going very well. Everybody was really high and lifted up and prideful. They, They thought that because they had spiritual gifts that somehow they didn't have to live a holy life. 
There was some really wicked sin going on in the church that the Bible says even the Gentiles were disgusted of. And Paul's writing them, and the whole thing's a rebuke. You guys think you're mature, but you're a bunch of children. You ought to be, for the most part, he didn't use these words. This is Joplin's interpretation. But you ought to be ashamed of yourselves. At this stage in your life when you should be mature, you're not. There's divisions against you. You're arguing about this. You're arguing about that. You've got sexual immorality going on in the church. Nobody does anything about it. The whole thing's a rebuke. And then you get 70% through the letter, and Paul says, you know what the conclusion on the matter is, folks? You are the body of Christ, and there is a way you ought to live. And we all need each other, and you need to quit being high-minded over one another and thinking that somebody's more special than the other. There are gifts. You didn't earn them. God's the one that gave them to you. So come down off your high horses and understand, though, that God did give you these gifts to be used in the body of Christ. And unless everybody's using their gifts properly and functioning in the body of Christ, then the body of Christ is not going to be well. He comes to the same conclusion in Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, writing to different churches. Now that tells us how important this is that in these letters to the churches, there's this constantly great big conclusion that we need to be using our spiritual gifts. Now, there's another reason that I wanted you to see the big picture this morning. Some of these passages mention different gifts. In fact, the gift of prophecy is the only gift that's mentioned in all three locations. And here's what I believe. I believe it teaches us something. I believe it teaches us a very important lesson about spiritual gifts. This is probably not some exhaustive list of all the gifts. There's probably not some special group of gifts just for this church and some special group for this church and special group for this church, but rather when Paul, motivated by the Holy Spirit, is writing these churches he just mentions a few gifts to help get his point across. And I think we've got to be very careful not to get so focused on the gifts that we're focused on this gift and that gift that we don't see the great big picture. These passages were never really about the gifts of the Spirit themselves. These passages are about the responsibility of each individual member to play a role in the body of Christ. That's what these passages are about. And I think it helps to see that in the big picture. There are some consistent themes in these passages. Number one, that the gifts are for the body of Christ. Now, I will clearly and undeniably say that when we are using our gifts, it will help us to reach people and the church will grow. But do not miss it, folks. When you read the passages... The gifts are for the body of Christ. They are to encourage and equip the body of Christ. They are for the church. Number two, consistent in all three passages, is the truth that all, each born-again believer has spiritual gifts. All of us do. If you are a born-again Christian, you have spiritual gifts. And number three, all of us as born-again believers, we have a role in the body of Christ. This is 
the, the helicopter view of these three passages, this is the heart of what God's communicating. So this is a big deal. I mean, if letters to these churches all end with this great big conclusion that you need to be using your gift in the body of Christ, this is a big deal. You, as an individual, as a believer, you need to be using your gift in the body of Christ. Period. So I want to ask the question, why? Why does it matter that you use your gift in the body of Christ? I will say, the simple answer is because God said so. That's the simple answer. And for the mature, that should always be enough. However, most are not mature. Most are like teenagers. Teenagers don't like the answer from mom or dad because I said so. They want some explanation. They want to know why. And parents, would you agree that there's almost always a why? There is a why. It wasn't just some random, well, I decided. But there's an actual why behind the reason you said, we're not going to do it until you clean your room. There's a why behind why you said no. So I want to consider the why. Why does God say each of us have a responsibility to be using our gift? And I'm going to submit the answer is because God designed the church to be built in such a way that we literally need each other. It's God's design. God did not want his church built in such a way that we could all just kind of be individuals going about our own way where we don't need people in our life. And he built us as individuals to be needed in the life of others. This is why God doesn't gift any one person with all the gifts. There are gifts in your life that you are lacking, and the only way that it's ever gonna, you're ever going to get what you need in your life as a Christian is to be connected with other Christians who are willing to take their gifts and sow into you. It's God's design. And when we don't participate in God's design for His church, the church suffers. You you need to know that this morning. If you are not using your gifts on a regular basis to advance the kingdom of God, listen to me carefully, the church is suffering because of you. That's what these passages are teaching us. Each of us have a responsibility, and when one member hurts, we all hurt. When one member is gone, or no longer part of the body, it impacts the entire body of Christ. And so this is why it is so important that you are using your gift. Now I'm going to come back and I'm going to conclude, I'm going to close with your role in the church of God to be using your gifts. Before I do, I want to just give a definition of the gifts. The purpose of this lesson is not to give a thorough, great, big explanation of every single gift. But I want to take the time to define them, and you're going to see that, for me, I personally see these gifts in two different categories, and I'll explain myself in a moment. But let's look at them together. On the back side of your page, you will see ministry gifts, 
and manifestation gifts. I'm going to explain the difference between them. But first of all, let's just kind of define each gift. Ministry gifts. The gift of evangelism, only mentioned in Ephesians 4, passionately leading others to the saving knowledge of Christ. Somebody with the gift of evangelism has a real heart for seeing people make decisions for Jesus. Someone who's really good at evangelism, truly gifted at it, whether they're on the stage preaching or whether they're engaged on one-on-one conversation, someone who's really good at evangelism will generally bring people to a point of decision. They're good at it. By the time this conversation's over, there's a choice to be made. We, we, we drove to a certain fork in the road that you weren't intending on going to, but here we are. Now you've got to make a choice. You're going left, you're going right. Someone that's really gifted at evangelism has the ability to do that, and especially an ability to do that with sinners. The gift of prophecy. The ministry gift of prophecy is boldly proclaiming God's truth. Very important that we define the word prophecy. When we hear that word, we tend to think about telling the future. Prophecy can be telling the future, but that's not really what the word in and of itself means. Very important to understand what biblically prophecy means. What prophecy means is the ability to hear from God or discern spiritually the message of the hour. And you'll find when you look at the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament, they heard from God and they simply stood up and said, here's what God has said. It wasn't always foretelling the future. Sometimes it was simply you all are wicked and judgment is coming your way and you better repent. That was the prophetic word as they were connected to the Lord and hearing from God. A.W. Tozer uh, was really a hero of the faith, very respected pastor of the mid-90s. And on this topic of the prophet, A.W. Tozer believed in modern-day prophets and and had a a piece where he actually wrote about the modern-day prophet and asked the question, where is the prophet at? Like, where have they gone? And this this is the way he described a prophet. He said, where's the man who knows how to push through this ticker tape parade and make their way to the front who can basically boldly proclaim the truth about what's going on? And that's really the gift of prophecy. It's different than teaching, which I'm going to address in a moment. It's different than shepherding. The biblical gift of prophecy is somebody that's in tune with God, the things that God would say to his people or the culture right now, and says something on behalf of God that's very relevant to the people that are listening. And so, boldly proclaiming God's truth in a way that is is really in tune with the word of the hour. Teaching. Teaching is making God's word clear with simplicity and accuracy. This morning, uh, in the ministry gifts that I'm trying to function in, uh, teaching is, is really probably the closest that you would see with this particular message. Trying to teach something that's difficult 
in a way that is simple for people to understand. And I will say this about the gift of teaching. People who are truly gifted with teaching, um, when they're functioning in that ministry gift, one of the most rewarding things, if you're a true teacher, one of the most rewarding things is when your students have the light bulb go off. And they're like, yes, I understand now. The teacher who constantly teaches over everybody's head and uses big words that makes everybody feel stupid has no business teaching and is really ruled by pride, not the spirit of teaching. A teacher wants students to learn. And so a teacher's job is to take what is difficult to learn and teach it in a way that is simple and easy for people to understand. It's important to understand that if you're a teacher, if God's gifted you with that, Your goal is to make sure your students are learning with simplicity and accuracy. Exhortation. This is the desire to motivate others. Motivate others to action. Uh, It's the desire to lift people up and encourage people. We have the the, uh, ministry gift of shepherding. This is overseeing, caring for, feeding, coaching, leading. We have the ministry gift of serving. People who have the ministry gift of serving, they just love to help. You'll find that someone who's truly gifted in the ministry gift of serving, they don't, most of the time, they don't even care where they serve. They don't care if they're working with kids or teens or, you know, serving food at, you know, a shelter or, they just like to serve. They just want to help. They want to physically do something with their hands and their feet, their time and their life that helps advance the kingdom. And they don't, most of the time, they don't care where. They just want a leader, someone who's gifted in administration. They just want a leader to help them figure out where to serve. You're also going to find that most of the time, people who are gifted with the ministry gift of serving, they don't really like to be up on the stage. They don't really want the, you know, everybody talking about them. They don't want the, the, the lights and everything that goes along with having to be up in front of the crowd. They just want to serve, and they want to kind of do so off to the side. The gift of mercy identifying with and comforting those who are hurting or who are in need. The gift of giving, this is releasing material resources to further the work of the church. And the gift of administration, which is the gift of organizing, administering, promoting, leading, etc. These are ministry gifts, sometimes called motivational gifts. And they're called that because these are the things that motivate us, that when we do these things You know, if you're gifted with the gift of teaching, you're going to find that you are motivated to teach. It's in your blood. It's something you want to do. You you enjoy it. If if God has gifted you with the gift of giving, you're going to find that you are motivated to look at ways to give, look at ways to take your resources and invest them in God's kingdom in places where there's going to be the most fruit. If you're gifted in leadership and administration, you're going to find that you are motivated to find places in your life that you can employ that gift to help others. And so it's important to understand what is your ministry gift? What is the thing or things in your life that motivates you? And what I want you to see is that these are, uh, I don't even know the word for it, but they're more like um, personality traits than they are positions. You don't see, for example, preaching as a ministry gift. Preaching is not a ministry gift listed here. But what you'll find is that people who are motivated by the ministry gift of evangelism 
sometimes use preaching to get their ministry gift out. You'll find that people who are gifted to teach sometimes use preaching to get their teaching out. Or someone who's gifted to be a shepherd uses the, you know, their shepherding spirit through the avenue of preaching. So preaching in and of itself is not the gift. It's the prophet, it's the teacher, it's the pastor shepherd, it's the, you know, it's the evangelist. And you'll find that based upon what motivational gift a person has, what ministry gift a person has, that impacts the way that they preach. I think about singing. Worship, for example. Singing is not a spiritual gift. And you'll find that people like our worship leader, Chris Hernandez, you'll find that the things that motivate him, it's not so much singing, it's not like I have to have somewhere to sing, but rather, it's, there's a shepherding spirit about him. He likes to help care for people. He likes to, uh, one of the things he's gifted with is administration. And in fact, it's actually one of the reasons that a church our size has a band the size that we have with three or four different bands and a bunch of moving parts is because one of his spiritual gifts is this gift of leadership, and he enjoys, he actually loves it. He enjoys building teams and teaching people and building systems and you'll find that probably at times, Chris will tell you, sometimes singing is just part of the package. Like, it's just, I have to sing because it's part of the package. But the motivational gift, the thing that drives him to be up until 3 a.m. last night is not, I get to wake up and sing tomorrow. It's the administration and him seeing God use his God-given gifts to advance the kingdom. Now, ministry gifts, there's the important point. Ministry gifts are meant to be used regularly. I would even say possibly daily. Our life routine, your weekly life routine, should be conducive to using your ministry gifts. And knowing what your gifts are will define your purpose. In God's kingdom. Some of these ministry gifts are also offices in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But knowing your ministry gift will define your purpose in the kingdom. I'm going to come back to ministry gifts. I'm going to explain why I think they're so important. But first, I want to walk through the manifestation gifts. And then I'm going to explain why I call them manifestation gifts. We find all of these in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we see the word of wisdom. This is wisdom that's given by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So this isn't just like some guy that's old, that's been around a long time, that's a professor, that's wise. This is like a supernatural word of wisdom where the Holy Spirit supernaturally gives somebody a word of wisdom. A word of knowledge, very similar but what separates it is that wisdom is, is more this application of truth. A word of knowledge is a, it's a fact. It's when, this, it's when the Holy Spirit would reveal to you factual information that you would not otherwise know had the Holy Spirit not revealed it. The gift of faith, this is the supernatural gift to believe and obey in a specific situation. The gift of healing, this is specific to overcoming disease. Uh, 
or recovering health, the gift of miracles, beside healing, you know, things like the dead coming to life, or Paul shaking off the viper that bit him at the fire, the gift of prophecy. Now, I believe, based upon the other eight gifts, that here, this is a specific reference to the foretelling of the future. The discerning of spirits, the revelation of the Holy Spirit to recognize demonic spirits. You have various kinds of tongues. This is the gift to supernaturally speak in other tongues. You have the interpretation of tongues, the gift to understand the one speaking in tongues. Now, when I see this list, here's why I call them a manifestation gifts. For one... In 1 Corinthians 12, it actually uses that word. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. It does not use that term in Ephesians 4 or Romans 12. It's important that you understand what a manifestation is. Biblically, the word manifestation, it deals with when the invisible God, whom we cannot see with our natural eye, makes himself known in such a way that we can physically behold him. So when Jesus came to this earth, he manifested himself in flesh. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit are when the Holy Spirit does something through a person that is supernatural and we can physically see it or experience it and say by looking at it, well, that had to be the Lord because that was not natural. These manifestation gifts are different from the ministry gifts in that the ministry gifts, when they're given, they're given for life. They're meant to be used in our everyday living. For example, right, one of my ministry gifts is shepherding. It's not as if somehow next week that's just not going to be my gift anymore. You know, like God gifted me to be a shepherd this week. Next week, we're not sure who the shepherd's going to be. We'll see who God gifts next week. That's not how that works. You're going to find if God's gifted you to be an exhorter, you're an exhorter. The manifestation gifts, however, come and go as the Spirit wills, and even though the text does not specifically say this, you, you search it out, here's what you find. The manifestation gifts are in response to need. And what I believe about the manifestation gifts, unlike the ministry gifts, I believe in the manifestation gifts, all of us can function in the manifestation gifts at any given time as the Holy Spirit leads. First of all, let's talk about what it looked like in the first century church. You're going to find that the apostles functioned at one point or another in all of these gifts. It wasn't as if, you know, the apostle Peter was the only one who could work miracles. And then John, he was the one who had the word of wisdom. They worked in all of them. And it was as if the Holy Spirit just brought these things to pass when needed, in response to actual need. It wasn't just the apostles. You see Philip, the deacon, in 
Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 9, Philip the deacon working miracles. It wasn't just the apostles. And then the question of, do these manifestation gifts, do they still operate in the church today? The simple answer is yes, they do. There is no reason biblically to believe otherwise. There's not a single verse in the entire Bible that teaches us that these gifts no longer operate. There's not a single verse in the Bible that teaches us that these gifts were only for the apostles. In fact, every one of these gifts we just read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul was writing to the church well established in Corinth. And if these gifts were not supposed to be used by those people, surely Paul would have just written, knock it off. These gifts are for us. <laughs> That's not what he said. He gave them instructions on how to properly use the gifts. And so do the gifts still operate? Yes. I believe with all of my heart that every single believer should have your heart open to, in the time of need, in the right setting, the Holy Spirit could work through me in any way that the Holy Spirit wants to. I think you should believe that that the Holy Spirit could work through you to heal somebody. The Holy Spirit could work through you in a real time of need to do a miracle. The Holy Spirit can do these things. These are manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and they are a gift when the Holy Spirit gives them, but they are very different than ministry gifts where God equips you with a certain ministry gift which is meant to be used on purpose every week of your life. And for this preacher, what that means to be is that the ministry gifts are the most important piece of this puzzle, that the ministry gifts are what we need to be focusing on, that you need to know what your ministry gift is, and it's your responsibility to use the gift. That is the purpose of the gift. In fact, in the first text that we read in Romans chapter 12, it says it without, you know, it just says it clearly, whatever the gift is, let us use them. Your gift is meant to be used. And it's your responsibility to use your gift. And if you don't, the body of Christ suffers. Young people, I want to talk to our middle school students, I want to talk to our high school students this morning you have a God-given responsibility to use your spiritual gifts now. And you might be developing your gifts. You might be fairly new in your faith, not even real sure, like, what you know, am I an encourager? Am I somebody that's, you know, meant to help show mercy? You know, what is, what is my gift? Am I a giver? And what does that look like at my age? But you need to know what your gift is. You have a responsibility to be using it. And God has gifted you. If you are a believer this morning... God's gifted you. You don't need to wait till you're 25, 30, 35 years old to start encouraging people, to start using your talents to encourage your peers, to encourage one another, and ultimately to build up the church. So the major difference between the ministry gifts and the manifestation gifts is that the ministry gifts are given permanently to a person to use for their Christian life. 
Now, here's the major point, and I want to bring it back in and close this out this morning. The major point. When you look at the front of your page, and I, you know, I've highlighted it in red. In these passages, the names of the gifts, they're a little different. What the gifts are might be a little different. But one thing that is the same in all of these passages is that it's not so much about the gifts. It's about the body of Christ. That's the point that Paul's trying to make. You're part of the body of Christ. And because you're part of the body of Christ, you have a responsibility to be involved in it. You have a responsibility to be using your gifts to advance God's kingdom regularly. So what does that look like? And this is what I want to close with. I want to close with the answer to the question, where do you use your gift? How do you use your gift? When do you use your gift? Can we agree that surely if we're actually meant to use our gifts regularly, and all of us are to be using our gifts, surely this can't mean during the you know, a couple hours we meet once a week for corporate worship. Imagine a scenario where I like, uh, of all 250 folks out there, can I get a hand of all the exhorters? Okay, each of you, you get 60 seconds. Go. Imagine trying to do that to my teachers, right? All 20 teachers, you each get two minutes, nothing more. Obviously, the context of using your gift in the body of Christ is something other than everybody doing it during the hour and a half church service. So when do you do it? Where do you do it? How? I want you to follow me and, and, and sincerely consider what I'm about to tell you. For thousands of years, the world existed in a way that is very different than the world we know. There were no cell phones, there were no computers, TVs, emails, no texting people, no vehicles to drive from one location to another, drive across town in 30 minutes, and for thousands of years, the way that the human uh, experience worked on every continent was we lived in small groups. You knew every neighbor by name. We lived in small communities. And while there may have been places and times where the, you know, everybody would gather for something corporate like this, something very public, generally speaking, the human existence has existed by God's design that we have small groups of people that we are connected with, generally neighbors and family and a few close friends. And what I'm going to tell you is that I believe God's design is that primarily our gifts, if all of us are going to be using our gifts at all the time, where do we do it, how do we do it, when do we do it, I'm going to submit to you that the answer, that God's design for that, is in the context of small groups. Sometimes it's a small group of coworkers. Sometimes it's a small group of, of, of family that's connected and close together. Sometimes it's uh, 
you know, we all have our groups. Here at the well, the option that we have to try to facilitate that, we call them life groups. But what you're hearing this morning and discovering is that the real secret of life groups, the real motivation of life groups here at the well is not simply to have life groups because life groups is the cool thing. It's not. We've never been that way. It's because we recognize as we begin to grow the absolute need for members to be able to use their gifts in the body of Christ. And so we wanted to start being intentional about creating opportunities for people to do that. And I've watched it happen, folks. I mean, I've watched, I think about um, a couple years ago in the Wilkes um, life group, man, we had, we had people that opened up and, and shared, you know, their hurt and their pain and their past trauma. And then we had people within the group that are coming around with encouragement and, 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 and showing mercy and showing love and showing grace and we ended up with somebody baptized there. We ended up with some grandkids that gave their heart to the Lord that were just part of that meeting watching that. Um, I watched this last year. I watched a life group do everything I could ever wish for in Brennan and Tamara uh, Tam, Rainey's life group. I mean, I was there for them as their pastor, and it was awesome. I knew, I mean, there were times I'm like, man, these folks don't even need me, you know. They got it handled, and they got it handled all on their own. They're givers. They're lovers. They're there. They're taking care of them. They're, you know, they're meeting needs. They're checking in. They're praying. There's, there's this community that's been built, and the church is doing what it's supposed to be doing in meeting these needs. I've watched life groups do hospital visits for people that were in their life group. I, I, so much of the ministry that once used to be all handed, you know, just to the pastor or deacon, all of a sudden, people are doing it because they've got connected in that small group setting. And so I want, to, I want to challenge you this morning to be honest with yourself about where you're using your gift. This is not, it's not a promo for life groups. This is a pastor trying to challenge his people to understand the importance of using your gift to build God's kingdom. And it may be inside of a life group. You're going to find that a lot of you already do have legitimate small groups. You can call them what you want. Life groups, we had to come up with a name. It's called life groups. At the end of the day, there are people that have small groups that are part of your life group where you're using your gift. And it's not any specific thing. It's not, you know, it's just like it's your guys at work. Sometimes you find that life groups develop authentically within ministry teams. Sometimes you know, it's my, my I, you know, there's some camaraderie that gets built on the worship team. And for a lot of these people, it becomes their life group. They're not necessarily meeting every single, you know, Thursday at 7 p.m., but they're meeting on Mondays for practice and are living life together and they're worshiping together and they've got each other's numbers and they're living life together and they're using their God-given gifts to encourage and equip each other. You see what I'm saying? There's a really interesting statistic that George Barna, who does Christian research, discovered a few years back. And I want us to consider the statistic. Here's, here's what he found. People who belong to a life group are 500% more likely to be attending church regularly five years from now. Go ahead and leave that up there for a moment. That's a wild statistic. 
100%. Now, if you're here and you're thinking to yourself, I really hope that five years from now, my family is still sitting where we are. Five years from now, I hope that me and my children and my family and me and my husband and my wife, I hope that we're still connected to the body of Christ. You realize here's one way that you can be 500% more likely to, to see that happen? Now, when Barna does his research, he has to be able to pinpoint trackable, factual information. The only thing that this tells us is they were in a life group. What does that mean? I mean, were they just sitting there? Were they bored? You know, what does it even mean? And in his research, this is all that we have. It's all that we have. But I'm going to tell you what, how I interpret this data. When I think about this statistic, I interpret it this way. People who regularly use their gifts in the body of Christ are 500% more likely to be attending church five years from now. That's how I interpret that data. It's not so much about life groups. It's about using your gift. And you'll find there is absolutely nothing more fulfilling in the Christian life than using your gifts to help people, than using your God-given gifts to encourage people, to advance the kingdom. That's what it's all about. It's, it is, and we see the, the term in Romans chapter 12 that you might know the will of God. And it goes straight into knowing your gift and being part of the body of Christ. And so I want to challenge every believer, young, middle school students, high school students, all the way to whoever the oldest person is in the room. I want to challenge us all. Are you using your God-given gifts? And if the answer is, well, not so much on a regular basis, I'm going to ask the question, why not? And will you consider finding a way to get plugged into a group? If you want help with that, let us know. We'll get you plugged into a life group. We need, we, I'm, we've got people signed up for groups and we need group leaders. I want to encourage you to consider opening up your home and hosting a group once a week where you guys get together, you pray together, you study the Word of God together, you encourage one another, you use your gifts to just help one another as you work through life together. But I want to challenge you to get serious about using your God-given gifts. Yes, it will require something of you, but God has demanded it. And it's only here when you're using your gifts in the Christian life, it's only in that place where you're using the gifts that God's given you that you will ever truly experience purpose, your God-given purpose. There's nothing like it. There's just nothing like it. So I want to challenge you. We're going to ask a worship team. Why don't you guys get a place this morning? I want to challenge you guys to know there is a role for you in God's kingdom. Each and every one of you. If you're a believer, the Word of God clearly teaches us you've got a role. The Word of God clearly teaches us when you don't do your role, we suffer. All of us have a role to play in building up one another. This morning, I pray that this, I pray that it helps simplify the whole spiritual gifts discussion. 
I want to submit to you, this is probably not an exhaustive list. I mean, if mercy is one of the gifts of the Spirit, probably grace is one of them too. We don't see grace this year. I, I personally don't think that probably every single spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit's ever given anybody is listed in this small group of 20 things. I think it's a principle that is simply being taught to us as a whole. All of us have gifts. All of us have different gifts. 